I guess they figured after eight weeks without me, you deserved a whole lot of me. So after this, you're probably ready for another eight-week sabbatical. If you would, please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Before we begin, I just want to acknowledge uh, that we are going to be dealing with the very personal very difficult issue of despair, which we also call depression, discouragement. We have a lot of different names for it. My concern is that too often as Christians, when we approach this issue, we do so with an air of, well, hey, if, if you just pray more, or if you just read your Bible more, then you'll feel better. And that's absolutely horrible advice to give to somebody who is already lost in the darkness of despair. So I don't want you to come into this thinking that this is some kind of a five-step program, that if you do these five things, you're going to feel better, because that's not what we're after today. And in my experience, those things are never helpful. They usually just make me feel worse. So that is not what we're doing today. Um, I understand that there are cases where uh, we need medicine and we need extra help. And so we're not talking about that kind of stuff. I don't want you to think that this is an all-encompassing how to cure yourself from all depression and despair. This is uh, just basically what's helped me as I've struggled with despair and depression through my life. And Psalm 42 and 43, I have found very helpful in my own struggles with despair. Because despair and depression aren't things that we cure. They're not things that we can get over. It's something that we constantly struggle with here on earth. But in the midst of the struggle, we can still have hope. We can still have joy. And so that's kind of where I want to take us today, is that we can still have hope and joy in the midst of darkness and in the midst of despair. And that's my desire. That's what I hope to share with you this morning. So before we begin, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I'm so thankful that we have a relationship with you if we're believers. I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful for the way that you constantly come after me, even though oftentimes I don't want you to, even though sometimes I'm trying to ignore you, yet you still pursue me. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that, that you love us and you care for us and you're there for us, that you're, you're God, the almighty God, creator God, who doesn't change. And even though our world falls apart and chaos is all around us, we can come running back to you. We can come running back to your word, and we know you'll be there, and we know you'll be the same. And I am so grateful and thankful for that. This morning, I pray that you would help me to be clear and concise. Spirit, I pray that you would give me the words that I ought to say and not the ones that maybe I shouldn't. So I just pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that this would honor and glorify you, God, that we would make a lot of you today. And I just pray that this is, I pray this is helpful. I, I pray that it's useful. In Jesus' name, amen. You might be shocked by this. That's sarcasm. I'm very sarcastic. So like in texts, it does not come across well. So if you're sarcastic like me and you text a lot, like don't, because sarcasm does not come through in text. And then they reply and you're like, ooh, they took that wrong. That was like sarcasm. Anyway, um, there's a massive increase in depression in our culture, in our current culture. I looked up some 
some statistics from 2021, uh, the state of the mental health in America, and I found the following, which I found very interesting. 9.7% of youth in the U.S. have severe major depression. Even before COVID, 19% of adults experienced mental illness of some kind. 60% of youth with major depression did not receive help. The number of people looking for help with anxiety and depression skyrocketed from January to September of 2020. There was a 93% increase. In September 2020, over half, over half of 11 to 17 year olds reported having thoughts of suicide or self-harm. 70% of people seeking help reported loneliness and isolation as one of the top three things that contributed to their concerns. In another report that I read, 70%, 70% of pastors reported struggling with depression. You want to make it closer to home? Statistics for Franklin County. In 2019, in Franklin County, we had 20 suicides. You want to guess what the average age was? Might surprise you. 57. This is not a youth problem. This is an all of us problem. I thought that was very interesting. Three of those suicides were in our very own community. So if it's this prevalent in our community, I can't help but think, and I know that it's that prevalent here as well. I think we all struggle with it. And this isn't a new issue either. This isn't a new problem. Uh, we know that some of the great Christian leaders that we look up to struggled with severe depression, including Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and Martin Luther. In fact, the story is told that Luther, for Luther, it got so bad that one day his wife, Catherine, she was like so frustrated with his massive depression but she put on her black mourning dress for funerals. Luther approached her and asked her why she was wearing her black funeral clothes and said, who died? To which she replied, responded, by the look of it, God has. Depression also isn't just an issue for our modern era. We see it all the way back since almost the beginning of time. Many different Bible characters struggled with depression as well, including Moses, Elijah, Jonah, and even Paul. So we all, I think, struggle with some form of despair or depression at some point in our lives. So when we find ourselves in that dark place, what do we do? How do we address it? How do we try to get out of it? And one of the things that I love about the Psalms, kind of like what Jeff talked about earlier, the Psalms are brutally honest. As you read through the Psalms, you can see exactly what he's thinking because he's just going to spill it out. And I love that about them because they're honest and transparent. So this morning, we're going to look at a psalm where the psalmist admits that he is in an absolutely horrible place and cries out to God. So we're going to read Psalm 42. We're also going to read Psalm 43 because if you look at Psalm 43, you'll notice that there's no heading. So technically, Psalm 42 and 43 go together. Uh, 43 mirrors 42 a good bit, so we'll be spending most of our time in 42 and then just a little bit of our time in 43. Follow along as I read. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. But I say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazir. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down in my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. Against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation. So this morning we're going to be looking at hope in trials. And I'm going to try to stick to this outline. I'm not a very good outline guy, so I'm going to do my best. I have some uh, graphics on the screen. Megs, if you could help me with those. Um, I'm going to, so that's going to try to like, keep me in line. So, so we're going to work on this together, and uh, we're going to hopefully fill in all the blanks, and I won't skip anything. So the first thing there is reasons for despair. Reasons for despair. And the first reason that we're going to look at is isolated. Isolated. He's isolated. And we see that first in verses 4 through 6, he's isolated at, from believers. He's isolated from believers. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, we see that this was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah are actually the Levites, and they were responsible for the temp temple music. Interestingly enough, if you look back, Korah uh, was actually one of the guys who led a rebellion of 250 leaders against Moses and Aaron. And if you look it up in number 16, you see that they led this rebellion and God swallowed them up by the earth. So they were literally swallowed by the earth. Uh, that's uh, one way to go. Whew. Anyway, somehow the sons of Korah here uh, survived or were not killed in that. And... Um, it appears that gratitude to God and his mercy that they dedicate themselves then to producing and performing the music used to praise God in the tabernacle and the temple, which I think is just another great example. God using people with shameful pasts. Like, can you imagine if you were them? Like, like think about it. Put yourself in there. Your dad led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron or your great-grandfather or whatever. Your relative did that, got swallowed up by the earth in front of everybody, and now you're supposed to go back to the temple and serve in the music? Like, that had to be rough. There, there had to be some really bad days there. But anyway, that's who these guys are. They're the ones that actually wrote the psalm. And we see that they're worship leaders, if you will. And in verse 4 and 6, we see that they're separated from the temple and worship, and therefore they feel cut off from other believers. They miss the sounds of singing. They miss the feel of community as they sang in a temple with their friends and their family and their fellow congregants. They long to be with them, to hear their voices, to see their faces. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been away from church for an elongated period of time where you didn't get to see anybody, you didn't get to sing together, and you missed it? You missed the singing? You missed seeing people you call your church family? 
think it's interesting when we come to sing, this is a little side note, when we come to sing, we don't just sing for ourselves and we don't just sing for God. We sing for the people around us too. We sing to each other. And I remember years ago, back when, when we were in the gym, um, one Sunday we were, we were singing and there was this person who was off to the side and I noticed pretty early on that they weren't singing. Their eyes were closed, their arms were out, and they were just like standing there, like rock solid, weren't moving. And it kind of caught my eye because they were just like standing there. Whole service, that's, that's what they did. They just stood there, eyes closed, kind of arms out a little bit, just standing rock solid. I was really struggling that day. They were really having a difficult time. And they didn't feel like singing, which is, which is fine. And so they just kind of stood there. But as the singing of our church washed over them, they were rejuvenated, they were encouraged, and they just stood there and just soaked it up. So we sing to each other. I, I hope you to sing out. We sing to each other, we encourage each other when we sing that way. But we see that they were missing that. They were missing that community that they feel. We often don't know what people are going through. We're really good at hiding things. We're really good at putting on a fake face and hiding what we're really feeling. And so we usually often don't know what folks are going through when they walk in our doors. And I'm convinced that one of the most dangerous lies that the enemy whispers to us is that we are alone and nobody cares. Because if he can get us alone, then he can just pound us into submission. Like he can just pound us until we can't do anything and, and we can't fight anymore. And then we're ready to throw in the towel. And we see despair here just wrecking the psalmist. And part of the reason is because he's away from his church. He's away from his support system. That support system is gone and it's showing. Because we're not meant to go through life alone. God wants us to be in community and wants us to be investing in other people as well. So, little plug, if you aren't already, I would strongly encourage you to link up with somebody. Get involved in a small group or just meet somebody for coffee. Meet somebody for a Bible study. Just meet somebody to talk another believer on a regular basis to share life, to challenge each other, to hold each other accountable. It's critical to our spiritual health. It's so important and it helps so much. There's something really powerful about being able to text a friend and saying, I'm not doing so good today. Can you pray for me? And you know they will. And you know that if you text and you need something, they'll be there for you then too. There's something very, very powerful about being able to be open and honest with somebody and say, today's not my day. I'm barely, I'm barely holding it together. Can you, can you help me? And that's absolutely amazing. It helps so much. And so I think this is why we're also encouraged throughout the Bible to meet together, especially um, so that we can uh, fight together, so we can do life together, so we can watch out for each other, so we can intercede together. Because we are in a spiritual war and we can't fight alone. We need each other. We need each other's help. Because when we are alone and we're isolated, we are more susceptible to despair and depression. So we see that the psalmist first of all is feeling isolated. He's feeling isolated from fellow believers, but he's also feeling isolated from God. Look at those first three verses. He's feeling isolated from God. And I think it's interesting that this is probably a forced absence from the temple is also affecting his relationship with God. There's some outside forces at play here that we're going to look at in a few minutes. Uh, but for now, I just want to explore how the absence from home and church has caused the psalmist to feel like God is absent. And I want to start off by noting that this is not an issue of belief for the psalmist. He still believes in God. He believes that God is there. I mean, he's crying out to God. 
He just thinks that God isn't there, or maybe he's not listening. And have you ever felt that before? <laughs> have you felt like God isn't listening to you? Have you ever called out to God and received nothing? Like nothing, just crickets. Have you ever prayed for something, maybe something that's good, something righteous, and nothing? Like God doesn't answer you. There's just nothing. Have you ever felt that depth of despair when God seems to be absent? When I graduated from college, I had a plan. I knew exactly what I was going to do, and it was righteous. I don't mean like cool, like righteous. I mean, it was like God, like righteous. I was, I was pretty excited about it. I was going to get into Christian radio, and I was going to just, just go after it. I was ready to roll. And so we're getting ready to graduate from college, and we're looking at all these different things. And you know what I got? Nothing. Actually, I did get something. I got a lot of closed doors and unanswered prayers. And that really hurt. I wound up working night shift as a machine operator. So I went from my dream of being this Christian guy in ministry, working full-time in ministry, doing radio or whatever God wanted, and now I'm stuck on night shift on some machine. And that was a super dark place for me spiritually because I felt like I was the only person in the world who said, God, I will dedicate my life to you full-time. I'll do anything you want me to do. And he said, eh, no thanks. I'll find somebody else. I mean, that, that hurt. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, you know, God, like, just show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Crickets. And that really hurt. Like, got me to the point where a couple times I was like, maybe I should just quit. Like, if God doesn't want me on my team, why do I want to be on his, right? And it was tough. It was very difficult. It actually took a friend who I wasn't looking for and didn't really want <laughs> coming along and seeing value in me. And he's the one that really came in and encouraged me to get into some different areas of ministry and to do some different things. And he's actually the one who got me singing. I hadn't been singing. Um, I wasn't really doing anything with music. And he kind of reinvigorated my love for music and singing. And I mean, look where I'm at now, kind of doing a lot of music and loving it and enjoying it. And I look back and I think, would I have ever come here if I hadn't gone through that. It's an interesting just to think about. I can also see now that God needed to do some work on my will versus his will. I had a wonderful plan, but that wasn't his plan. And we needed to hash that out a little bit. I don't know what your relationship with God is like. My relationship with God seems to be a little bit more turmoil, like more butting heads, more being going, God, I've got a great idea. And him going, yeah, that's a horrible idea. You don't want to do that. And then we butt heads until I finally submit. But God felt so distant during that time. And much like the psalmist, I felt isolated from God, which led to a deep, dark time of despair. So not only did the psalmist feel isolated, he felt isolated from other believers, he felt isolated from God, but we also see, secondly, that he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed through trials of some kind. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we sure know how he felt about it. In verse 7, you see that he feels like he's drowning, like wave after wave is pounding him. Have you ever been caught in a rip current? I don't know if you guys like the ocean or not. Some people are scared of it. I love it. The bigger the waves, the better. My wife hated it when we were in college. We went to school in Florida, and when the storms came through, that was the best. I would get so excited, and we'd run out, and we'd play and have a grand old time. But if you ever got stuck in a 
current with really large waves, it doesn't take you very long to realize that you're in a lot of trouble. Because those waves are coming in one after the other after the other, and you're trying to swim in, you're trying to do something, and you do everything you can, and you either stay where you're at, or you move farther away. And that's a really bad feeling. You know what else is a bad feeling? Is knowing that you can't do anything about it. You're stuck. You can't fight against it, because you're not going to win. You have to figure out a way to go around it. To go around it. And isn't that how we feel with trials sometimes, too? They just pound us and pound us and pound us and pound us and pound us. And it's not the big ones sometimes. Oftentimes for me, it's the little ones. It's the little things that kill. It's those little ones because I think, I've got this. I don't need God for this one. Like the big ones, if something really big happens, you go running to God because you know you can't handle it. But for me, with the little ones, I think, I've got this. I can do this. I don't need God for this one. God, I'll do this one. You can do the next one. Right? I don't know if I'm the only one who's like that, but I'm definitely like that. And so I try to take that little thing, and then another little thing happens, and I'm like, I can take that too. And then they like pile up on top of you, and then you feel like you're suffocating. You feel like you're getting crushed. And then I run to God and say, help. <laughs> and I think that plays into, de into despair and depression. Because if we're feeling isolated already, and then trials start to wash over us and knock us down, it's really easy for us to spiral. So the psalmist is overwhelmed by trials, but I think he's overwhelmed because of physical needs. Give me a little bit of leeway here, because this one isn't directly in the text, but I think it's implied. I also think it's really relevant, and I also think it's extremely practical, and I like practical. I, I hate it when somebody's like, I'm going to help you through this, and then they give you all this ambiguous stuff, and I walk away more confused than when I walked in. So when I can latch myself onto something really practical, I try to. So physical needs. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that the psalmist was probably depleted of physical necessities. He's awake all night, he's not eating well, he's not sleeping well, he's struggling with despair. Dr. Jones mentions that some of the issue is probably physical. But we don't often think about that, do we? But it's so true, like the physical stuff does impact us. Sometimes we just need some good healthy food and a nap. I thought I'd get a lot more amends from that nap thing, I don't know. Do you guys see the meme where it says, Dear Nap, I'm really sorry for all the horrible things I said to you as a kid. I, I relate to that. I feel really bad I hated naps as a kid. I had no idea what treasure they were. Anyway, when Elijah was depressed and asking God to kill him, what did God do for him? God fed him and told him to get some rest. I know this seems extremely unspiritual, but sometimes we really just need to take care of ourselves. Take a nap, eat a healthy snack. And I think it's really interesting that we're hearing a lot of us from our secular self-care folks, the importance of good food and rest for our mental well-being and, and how we're doing, and yet we see it all throughout the Bible. It was already there. So when we're struggling with despair, we need to make sure that we are getting rest, that we're eating well. So not only is the psalmist feeling isolated and overwhelmed, but thirdly, he's also being mocked. We see this in uh, 42, 3 and 10, and 43, 1 and 2 where they say, where is your God? Has God left them or forgot about them or just doesn't care? I mean, this is hardcore stuff. Notice that the people taunting them are not questioning if God is real or not. Like, this is a very spiritual society that he's in. So they believe in God. They're not asking, is God real? They're not asking, who is God? No, they're asking, where is God? Because he's definitely not with you. This implies that God is definitely there. He just doesn't care. Maybe he forgot about you. Maybe God rejected you. And his taunters are absolutely throwing this in his face. 
and we know that these assaults hurt and that they stuck with him because he repeats them twice in the passage in 3 and 10. Where is your God? Has he abandoned you? In his commentary on Psalms, James Boyce says this, that is a cause for deep depression. Where is God indeed? Where is God when I am in a far country, separated from my usual work, taunted by enemies? Why doesn't God seem to hear my cries? Why doesn't he intervene to change my circumstances? I felt that one. God, why don't you change my circumstances? Because they're so bad. Nothing. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. And honestly, I've never even had somebody attack me with these kinds of lies before. Not somebody from the outside. I've never had anybody come to me and be like, so you claim to serve this God, where is he? Because I don't see him. Like, does he not listen to you anymore? Like, what's going on with that? I've never had that. I have taunted myself, though. I have done this to myself. Have you ever done this to yourself? Have you ever spoken to yourself this way? Have you ever been your worst enemy, taunted yourself, and said things to yourself that you know aren't true, but they feel true? Why isn't God listening to me? Why isn't God getting me out of this painful circumstance? Why isn't God doing what I want him to do? And we get so frustrated and upset, and it hurts. It really honestly does hurt. And we'll get more into this in a little bit, but that's why it's so crucial for us to stay in the word and to arm ourselves with the word and have it in our hearts, because it's so easy for us to grasp the lies of the enemy and then repeat them to ourselves over and over and over again. But it doesn't end there, does it? It's not the end of the psalm. We keep going in Psalm 43, and do you see what the psalmist does there? We see him in deep despair, but he doesn't quit. He gets back up, he fights back, he calls out to God. So we already looked at the reasons for despair. So now I would like us to look at how we can fight against despair. Fight against despair. And the first one is call out to God. Call out to God. We see a hunger and thirst in the psalmist for God to help, to reach out and help. It says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, God. I feel that this passage could actually mean, instead of just being a little thirsty, like dying of thirst. Like you have to have water or you're going to die. God, I'm dying for you. I'm dying to hear from you. I have to hear from you. And do you notice in this part, he does not ask God to remove what's going on. He doesn't ask him to remove the trials or to uh, get rid of that. He's just asking God to show up. And I think our first hurdle when we fight against despair is to realize that we can't fight this on our own. We need help. We need God. This is harder than it sounds though, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, the last place I want to go when I'm fighting despair is God. Just being honest with you. Because typically, it usually means that God and I are in a bit of a riff, that I want something and he's saying no, and I'm throwing a little temper tantrum like a five-year-old. And I think that God is not answering my prayers. I think he's unwilling to help. His apparent lack of care or concern is what I consider to be important because he's not doing things my way. And usually, I know I need an attitude adjustment. I just don't want to. Because <laughs> I'm upset about something, I'm mad about something, and I want to stay mad about it because it kind of feels good if we're being completely honest with each other. Yet what I really need is help. And what I really need is an attitude adjustment. And I know if I go to my Bible, I know if I start to pray that God's going to start working on that, that he's going to point that out, and that he's going to start giving me that attitude adjustment. So sometimes we pray even though we're not feeling it. 
we call out to God to help, even though we might not completely mean it. And I honestly think that's okay. Because sometimes it's just getting ourselves into the posture of, I need you. And so sometimes it's literally just a prayer of, I don't feel like praying to you right now. But I know I need to. I know I ought to. So we call out to God. We cry out for help. In the darkest of our moments, we cry out for what we know, that he is our help, our hope. He is where our help comes from. A pastor once said, desperate people make the best prayer warriors. Desperate people make the best prayer warriors. And it often takes us coming to the end of ourselves until we finally and seriously cry out to God. So in our fight against despair, we first need to call out to God. And then, as we see in the text, we need to preach hope to ourselves. Preach hope to yourself. Hoping God appears three times in verses 5 and 11 and then 43, uh, verse 5. Even though he's discouraged and even though he feels isolated from God, the psalmist repeatedly reminds himself to hope in God. Martin Lloyd-Jones once again says about this, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. So he preaches to his own soul the truths that he knows, even though he doesn't feel them yet. Because notice what he says. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He doesn't say, I'm ready to do it now. He says, hope in God, because someday, someday I will. I'm going to get back there. I have faith that I will get back there. And I kind of like the fact that he's not there yet. Because sometimes I don't feel like I'm there yet. Sometimes I'm, you know, it's an ongoing thing, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And so I think it's good that sometimes in some of these psalms, there isn't a happy ending. You can see he's still struggling with it, but he's looking with hope to the future, to a day when he will praise God. He will be able to praise God again. So we need to preach hope to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of the truths of God's word. We need to remind ourselves of past blessings that God has worked in and through us. And there's a couple different ways that we can do this. I'll give you some I have found to help me. And then my hope is that you will take this encouragement and you will personalize it and kind of do it for yourself. So some things that have helped me. Uh, memorizing scripture. Shameless plug for Eric after, after the worship service. He's going to give us some tips and tricks on memorizing scripture. I would strongly recommend that you stick around and figure out how to memorize scripture. You know that like Old Testament, those guys didn't have it written down. It was spoken. They had to memorize it. If you wanted scripture, you memorized it, and then you had it. And we've lost that because we all have like multiple copies. And so we've lost some of that uh, ammunition that we have in memorizing scripture and having it at the tip of our tongues whenever we need it. Memorizing scripture, post-it notes with scripture on them. That is very helpful sometimes. You just plaster that thing on there, especially if you're struggling with something specific and you need that constant reminder that God is there, God is real, he is with me, he is good. Um, sometimes just a post-it note with scripture. Sometimes it's also very helpful if you're trying to memorize a verse. I'm not gonna take any of his, I don't know if he's gonna say that or not, but <laughs> sometimes that just helps me to stick a post-it note somewhere and just see it over and over and over again. A journal or like a box of uplifting notes. If you've ever sent me a note that is encouraging, I have it. I keep it in a box. Um, I've digitized most of them too. 
And what's really helpful about this is that sometimes when I'm, when I'm feeling down, when despair is crowding in, when the darkness is coming in, it's really, really helpful to go back to that box and just flip through those notes. To see the value that other people saw in me, to see God, uh, other people looking at me and saying, hey, wow, God's working in you. That's so helpful. It's so encouraging. And so I would encourage you guys to write notes to each other. And maybe not even emails, like maybe like an actual like handwritten note, because those, I don't know, it just seemed to hit different. So an actual like handwritten note and send it to each other. Like if you see somebody doing something awesome, or if you are encouraged by somebody in some way, shape, or form, send them a note. You have no idea how that can help somebody and encourage somebody. There have been times where I'm just seriously ready to quit. Just, I just can't do it anymore. And you'll get a little note in the mail from out of nowhere. And it'll be that little bit of encouragement that you need. Sometimes it's not even anything like serious or scriptural. It's just, hey, I was thinking about you, or hey, how you doing, or, and boy, that really helps. So I'd encourage you, write most to each other, and then keep them and hold on to them, because when the darkness does come in and when you start to feel defeated, it really helps to go through them and, uh, and read them again. So um, another one is, is music. Music, a playlist of Christian music, for me, is huge. For me, music is a massive part of my arsenal. To have playlists of music that are uplifting. Sometimes it's good to have some that are convicting too. Uh, and there's music being written if you're looking for that. But um, sometimes it's just nice to have a playlist of music where you know you can run to and it's going to point you right back to God. And you can just listen to it and it's going to help uplift your spirits. And then finally, daily time in the word and prayer. And I feel like we say this about everything, you know, like, oh, you need to read your Bible and pray. But it is so important, and it is so critical, because it helps. It really, really helps. And if you're not feeling it that day, like, and we all have those days, right? You miss, or you're busy, or you're up late, your alarm doesn't go off, or the electricity goes off, and then your alarm doesn't go off, or something happens, you're running late, you don't get it in. But sometimes even just a verse. If you're just really struggling, and you're just not in the mental place where you can, like, seriously read and pray, just a verse and a, God, I really can't do this right now. I think he appreciates that. I, I think it's just the recognizing, God, I need you, and I'm not doing so well, and I can't even pray to you right now. But I have the desire, like, I know I, I need to. I just can't right now. So find out what works for you. And I would say, actively seek out different and creative ways to preach to yourself. Ways that will work for you, ways that help you, ways that encourage you and, and deepen yourself into the Word of God. So be creative, be unique, because I think it should be something very personal, and there's something that's definitely very you that speaks directly to you. Because I think that even in the midst of despair, uh, the psalmist reminds himself over and over again to praise God. He's not there yet, but he wants to be. Even though things are hard, he reminds himself again and again to praise God. Praise God. And I think he's doing this because perspective matters. Perspective matters. Um, in the Hebrew, and I am not a Hebrew scholar, but in the Hebrew, uh, there is an idiom or a figure of speech for a good eye and a bad eye. Uh, the good eye is called ayin tovah, and the bad eye is called ayin va'ah. And you need to have a good eye or a bad eye. And that then affects how you perceive the world and how you look at things. And we see this demonstrated or spoken about in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'll just read a really quick um, 
portion of that. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this refers to how you see the world. You either see things in a positive light or a negative light. Do you view the world through a lens of goodness, what God is doing, or do you view the world through a lens of despair, only seeing all the sin and corruption that's all around us, and there's a lot of it. This isn't referring to our little eye, of course. It's referring to our hearts, and how we view the world greatly impacts who we are and become on the inside. As the passage says, a good eye can fill your whole body with light, but a bad eye can fill you with darkness. The world would call this positive thinking. Like they would tell us that we can cope by having a good attitude, by focusing on the good things that are in us and around us. And that sounds nice, but for me, that breaks down really fast. What's interesting is that the Bible tells us the exact same thing, right? The Bible tells us that we should be positive as well. The Christians are supposed to have hope and joy no matter what the circumstances. My only question is how? <laughs> how is that even possible? How is it possible to have true hope and true joy when your entire world is crashing down around you? I mean, is it even possible? And I'd say yes it is, through Christ. I know it sounds a little hokey, but, but it's true. And we see it around us. We see it in our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, who are being beaten and killed just for naming Christ, or even being baptized. And yet, they have joy. They have a hope. Uh, how? We see it in Paul. You couldn't keep that guy down. You jailed him. You beat him and you jailed him. And what did he do? He sang in jail and then he converts his jailer. Right? His mantra is to live as Christ and to die as gain. They say, hey, we're going to beat you, but we're going to let you live. Great, I'll keep preaching Christ. You know what? No, we're going to kill you. Great, I get to see Jesus. Like, you couldn't keep the guy down. And I think that's incredible. And I look at it and I say, how? Like, how can I do that? How can I live like this? And it's baffled me for quite a while because I didn't see how this was possible without being fake. Most of the time I saw this, it was with plastered smiles on your face. Seen the commercial for depression with the lady with the the little circle and it has a smiley face on it. That's kind of how I felt about it. Like, how can you really do this without being fake? Without just plastering a smile on your face and being like, everything's fine. Um, <laughs> I was going to say everything is awesome, but I was afraid that that song would be going through everybody's head. And now it is because I mentioned it. Anyway, how is this possible? How is this possible without being fake? And I think it's possible with a complete trust that God is indeed in control and that he knows exactly what he's doing and he has a plan. And that sounds kind of easy on a Sunday morning, but it's extremely hard on Monday. It's extremely hard throughout the week. It's extremely hard to actually do it. But I think the good eye that we talked about is the key, an eye that sees God in everything and realizes that God is working in and through everything around us. And that's how we rejoice in trials. That's how we keep our perspective when the world around us goes crazy and things seem out of control. How in the world do Christians stay calm in the midst of persecution? It's because they believe that God has them, that he has a plan, and they submit to that plan. And then, honestly, oftentimes they don't worry about the rest, which I don't understand. I can't make sense of that. 
So seeing through good eyes is seeing through God eyes, trusting him in the midst of darkness, laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, and trusting that God has a plan even though everything looks impossible. And this passage in Matthew then goes on to teach about worry and anxiety, how it cripples us and stifles our desires to lay up treasures in heaven. So they're, they're kind of linked too. But do we really trust, do we really trust that God is going to give us what we need when we need and that he'll take care of us? Because I think this really comes down to, if you boil it all the way down, it comes down to trust. Do I really trust God? Do I really trust him? Do I completely trust him? I'm currently reading a book entitled Hind's Feet on High Places. It's kind of an odd book, honestly. Think Pilgrim's Progress with More Emotions. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of, it would me out in the beginning, but now I'm kind of invested in it. Anyway, uh, the book is about a, a small girl named Much Afraid who has been invited by the great shepherd to go up to the high places. And so this book is about her journey from where she is filled with fear, Much Afraid, her name, and going up to the high places and the great shepherd taking her along that journey and the things that she must endure. Uh, as she goes along the journey, the things that she must endure become more and more difficult. However, the shepherd continually asks her throughout the book, do you trust me? Even though I'm about to send you up this nasty storm or up a dangerous cliff, do you trust me? Do you trust me if it looks like I'm about to deceive you? And I've really related to the girl in the story because she really struggles with this sometimes. She struggles to trust the shepherd when it appears that he's uh, misled her or abandoned her, which you find out he never does. He's always right there, one cry away, and he is right by her side. However, you also see through her journey an increasing amount of joy and hope in the midst of these trials and struggles as she learns how to trust the shepherd how to trust that great shepherd, her hope and joy, even though the trials don't go away, they're actually getting more and more severe, but her hope and trust in him is becoming stronger and stronger because her hope and joy are rooted in the shepherd and the love that he puts in her heart. And too often, honestly, I focus more on my circumstances. I forget all about the loving shepherd who loves me and has me right where he wants me. I get so wrapped up in all the things around me, the things of this earth, that I miss what's really going on around me some of the spiritual warfare that's going on around me. I get so wrapped up in the things of earth that I stop living for the kingdom. My joy and hope have to be rooted in Christ. They can't be rooted in all the things around me. They can't be rooted in anything else because if they are, they're just gonna crumble. And usually they're gonna crumble fast. If they're rooted in the things around me, I'll be miserable, prone to despair. I'll be prone to anxiety and isolation. That's my experience. That's, that's typically where I go. However, when my focus is on Christ, when my hope and joy is rooted in Christ, then I often have stability, a fresh, positive outlook on life. So do we have a good eye or a bad eye? Where is our focus? Do we even see God working in the world around us? And again, this isn't something that we achieve. It's something that we strive for, something that we work at, something we continuously ask God for help with, something we have to continuously preach to ourselves. God is in control. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And God is good. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he's good. So my hope and prayer for this morning is that this is actually helpful for us to work through periods of despair. I hope that we realize our inclination to isolate ourselves and then become overwhelmed and we become more willing to reach out and ask for help. I hope we become faster to run to God. I know I struggle with that, even though I know he should be my very first stop. 
I keep trying to do things myself when I ought to be running to God at the very first hint of trouble. I hope that we remember to preach to ourselves, consistently finding ways to remind ourselves of the truths of God's word and preaching to ourselves the gospel and those truths that we find in scriptures. And then I hope that we don't keep this for ourselves, but I hope that we make ourselves available to help each other too, because we need each other. That we become a church and then a community who is willing to reach out and help those who are struggling, because we know this is impossible to do by ourselves. In a few minutes, as I said, Eric is going to be sharing with us about memorizing scripture, and I would encourage you to stick around, because this is so critical in our ability to fight back against the darkness, to know the word of God, and to preach it to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in it. Thank you for promising to never leave us, to never forsake us. I want to thank you for the love that you show us. I want to thank you for the care that you show us, especially when we're struggling. I know so many times when I have a bad attitude towards you, when the darkness and despair seems to be circling around me, I call out to you, and not once have you rejected me. You're always there, and I want to thank you and praise you for that. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us as we all struggle with this, as we all struggle to follow you, to have hope and joy in a world that is absolutely nuts. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would give us strength. I pray that you would help us to keep running back to you, that we would be planted in your words, that we would be quick to pray, that we would be so quick to help each other, that we would be quick to look to each other for help as well. Father, we desperately need your help. And so I pray that you would indeed help us. In Jesus' name, amen.